found countercultural. And so my question is, before we get going, I know some of you have been here, we haven't been here for all of our um, talks we've done so far, just a couple. But what do you think of this idea of being countercultural as a Christian? What does that mean to you? What do you think? What's the first thing you think of when you think of countercultural as a Christian? Christian. Right, straining. Well, what are some things maybe you'd stray away from being countercultural? Good. Yeah, good. That's one good example. What else? What are some ways of straying away from the patterns and ways of this world? What are some things people think? Yeah. Okay. Very good. Yeah, honoring your parents, right? That's a way of standing out and being countercultural and honoring God's word. Yep. Not cussing. Not cussing. Yep, the words of your mouth. Jesus says, uh, watch the fruit of your mouth, right? Let them know them by the words of your mouth and the deeds of your actions. Good. Loving your neighbor as thyself. Right, very good. Loving your neighbor as yourself. What about the philosophy, if it feels good, just do it? Right? Very worldly philosophy, definitely not what Jesus was teaching his disciples, right? As a way of standing out and being light to the to the world. How do you be salt and light to the world if you are exactly like it? Right? Which is what he goes into teaching right after he talks about this Sermon on the Mount that we, we talk about. One of his first messages is to be salt and light. Right? You can't be salt and light or a city on a hill or an example or inspiring or giving people hope or giving people encouragement or uplifting anyone if you're exactly like them. Correct? Right? So you have to stand out a little bit. All right. Well, we've been talking about being poor in spirit, um, which means, again, you just understand your own brokenness before God, your own imperfection, and coming to Him and asking for his blessing and um, allowing God to, to minister to you. We talked about mourning, and you can't be comforted unless you're actually willing to mourn. And that you can mourn, uh, you know, the most common thing we obviously think about is somebody passing away or dying, that we would mourn for them. Um, but another uh, things we could mourn, we could mourn our own sinful choices and the cost that, that comes with that. We can mourn our own broken relationships and the cost that comes with that, right? We can mourn for somebody else even. Uh, we can also we can mourn for things that we know are coming. Like if you have a loved one that's, again, you know, going to die or something like that, you can begin a mourning process early. So a lot of things, again, we can um, grieve pretty deeply. Well, today we're talking about meek, and meekness is one of those ones that's a little more misunderstood, right? Mourning's a little more straightforward. Meek is... One of the ones a little misunderstood. Well, if you look up meek in Google, it has an interesting definition. Um, and I don't agree with this definition, or I don't think Jesus would, but this is what Google says. It says, meek is quiet, gentle, easily imposed on, and submissive. Right? I don't think Jesus is telling us necessarily to be quiet, gentle, easily imposed on, and submissive. Right? You can't be salt and light to the world if you're easily imposed on. Right? Meekless kind of has this negative connotation in our culture that you're somehow wimpy if you're meek. But Jesus is not telling his disciples to be spineless wimps. Okay? 
So it's, it's not the definition that Jesus is, is aiming for when he says, uh, you know, to be, to be meek. To be meek requires strength. To be counterculture requires strength, not weakness. Okay? So we're going to kind of circle around to what does he mean by meekness by looking at a couple of stories. Um, later on, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is kind of towards the last quarter of his ministry. Again, the, the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to go over, you know, blessed are the meek, for they will... Better turn to it. Matthew chapter 5. Don't want to accidentally combine it with another one. All right, so blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay? So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, so again, meekness is not a wimpy thing, and Jesus starts off his ministry with these beatitudes, or in other words, these things that separate Christians from other faiths. Okay? These are countercultural truths. Jesus is saying, hey, this is different about my ministry and my way of doing life than what you've ever heard before. We're going to be different. And these Beatitudes are one of the ways that we are different. If you're not used to taking notes, I'd encourage you to grab your pen and feel free to take notes as God highlights things to you. Sometimes it's just something that jumps up to you, that jumps out to you that you think is interesting or unique. So later on, Jesus goes from, again, he starts off with what's countercultural, and these are strong suggestions. Later on, he gets to commands. And in the last quarter of his ministry, he's asking the disciples this question. It's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. And Jesus asks the disciples, people are basically kind of abandoning uh, Jesus because they don't like some of his teachings. Right? He's not, again, he's countercultural often. So he's not telling people what they always want to hear. Right? If you're countercultural, you don't always tell everybody what they always want to hear. Right? Remember in the Old Testament, um, when a king would get an answer from a true prophet he didn't like, what would he do? Do you remember? Those of you who read some of the Old Testament? He did this a lot, but he did it to Jeremiah too. Lots of kings did this. So if they get an answer from a true prophet like a Micah or a Jeremiah or Isaiah or whoever, and, and they don't like the answer... They would go and try and find other prophets. They're called false prophets. Until they found what their itching ears wanted to hear. Right? In other words, they're going to look for somebody that will tell them what they want to hear. You ever do that when you go to get advice from somebody? You don't like what somebody says? You go until you find the advice you want? Right? It may not be good advice. If you're searching to be confirmed in an idea you already want to hear. Right? They did, this has been going on for centuries. Thousands and thousands of years. So they would be called false prophets because... Uh, I remember one of the, the prophets, he, uh, he had over a couple thousand people. This is Elijah. Ahab was getting advice, and so all of these prophets were all prophesying the same thing. They were kissing up to the king, telling King Ahab what, they, what he wanted to hear. And one of the kings is like, I don't know, you know, I never get advice where everyone says exactly what I want to hear, right? And then King Ahab goes, well, this one guy named Isaiah, or Elijah, I mean, but he never has anything good to say. He doesn't, in other words, he doesn't like what Isaiah is going to tell him. So Isaiah comes in and tells him exactly what he wants to hear. Kind of a, you know, reverse psychology. And 
The king goes, all right, just get it out with. What are you really here for? And so Isaiah gives him the message that he, exactly what he doesn't want to hear, right? So again, sometimes being a true follower of Jesus, you are going to stand out, you're going to be counterculture, and you're going to have a message that not always everybody wants to hear. But if they will heed the advice, it's actually good for them and is wise. Right? Remember Solomon says, correction and instruction are the way to life. So anyways, and here in uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Peter responds to Jesus. Jesus looked at them. With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Right, Jesus is talking about her rewards, not what you might think it is. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, we're at the end of the age, right, at the end of your life, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, right, at the end of human history, you will have followed you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's talking to his twelve disciples. And everyone who have left houses or brothers or sisters, we could say, or jobs, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, or materialism, or stuff, right? For the sake, for my sake, for the kingdom of God, will receive a hundred times as much as they will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first, right? Peter responds and says, we have left everything, Jesus, to follow you. We've left everything to become countercultural, to truly stand out for you. Right? And Peter's just asking this honest question. L listen, all I'm seeing, Peter's saying, all I'm seeing is everything I've given up. Ever feel that way? All I, all I see is all the stuff I'm saying no to. And so he asks this question what reward would there be for me? Right? That's a good question. What reward will there be? Right? We are reward-driven people. Everybody is. And Jesus responds, at the renewal of all things, at the gates of heaven, right? at the border of heaven, I will sit on the throne, and you, my twelve disciples, will sit on the thrones and will judge all the people. And other people, which include today, who leave family and stuff and money and comfort and pleasures will receive a hundred times what they give up. That's Jesus' promise to us. Pretty amazing, if you think about it. Right? One of the things that caught my attention oh, in the last year that Pastor Alex said was, um, you know, a lot of adults will, will think about how to diversify their investments so they want to buy a home and they want to maybe buy a rental and they want to buy stuff they could sell and they want to, you know, have different things in the stock market, basically trying to increase their wealth, right? It's a common thing. And he said, you know, a Christian should also be diversifying their kingdom portfolio. In other words, they should be investing in the kingdom of heaven, right? Supporting different ministries, getting involved in serving in practical ways, doing different things. You know, as a Christian, we need to have a, remind, a mindset on eternity, not just on temporal things that we're going to experience in this life. So we want to have an investment that someday Jesus will reward us with a hundred times return because it's an impact for the kingdom of God, changing lives and making a difference in this world that will last not just for this lifetime, but forever and eternity to come. 
And he also goes on and says this unique comment, and he says, many uh, who appear to be great Christians will actually receive a very small reward. In other words, Jesus is saying, it's not, it's not just about title. You know, a pastor doesn't necessarily receive a better reward than somebody else. It's what they're actually motivated in doing. Right? And God sees what's going on behind the scenes. So some of you might think are going to get an amazing reward might get a very small reward. And other people who you think, that person didn't really make much of a difference with their life, might receive a massive reward for their faithfulness. So again, God truly knows, and it says in the Old Testament that he searches through for hearts and minds for people who are truly sold out for him. He wants to know who's really willing, countercultural, to stand up for God. All right, so biblical, biblical meekness is uh, kind of better understood in the sense of not, again, being some spineless wimp that's just going to kill over. You know, oh, you're right, I'm not going to ever have a disagreement with you. But it's actually somebody who gently endures conflict with patience until the end without resentment. In other words, till the end of life. Somebody who can sit in conflict without making things worse. They are meek. They are gentle. They are patient. Some of the fruits of the Spirit. Right? And they can endure through conflict for a really long time without actually becoming bitter or resentful. Right? You're in conflict. And if you get angry right away, it's not meek. Right? You feel like, oh, I have to defend myself. It's not meek. Perseverance in the conflict. Gentle perseverance in the conflict. You're rolling over and playing dead, like, oh, you're all right, I'm so wrong. It's an endurance in the relationship, choosing the relationship. Right? There's another one that's going to come up later that's about conflict in relationships as well. Being patient to the end without resentment. And secondarily, kind of under that, it's an... It's, um, a desire not to cause discord. You know what discord is? How'd you describe discord, somebody? Yeah. Um, I believe discord is it's similar to chaos. It's um, everything is messed up and tangled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How else would you describe it? Not a right or wrong answer. Yeah. Kind of purposely grading on each other. Ever do that? Like, I want to prove my points, so I'm just going to, yeah, yeah. Every, you call it hitting your, you know, somebody just hit my button or whatever, you know, might call it, where you grade on each other, find your weakness and annoy each other. Right? It's not trying to cause strife. Right? You're not purposely stirring up trouble. Person with meekness. And they are not necessarily trying to get always your personal ideas across. Again, they have a, they're choosing the person or the relationship over proving a point. That makes sense? Because if you're like me, you're always right. You ever feel that way? Or at least I'm more right than whoever I'm arguing with. Right? So meekness is, is saying, even though I believe that I'm right, because I don't know how many of you get in a fight, but if you get in an argument, it's because you believe you're right. Correct? Usually, anyways. So if you're in the spirit of meekness, then you're going to choose the person over making your point. Does that make sense? You're going to choose, the, sometimes you're going to hit a, reach a point in the conversation 
or the argument where you're going to surrender your point for the, in favor of the relationship. You're going to be able to do it without being bitter about it or resentful and hanging on to anger. So it's a purposeful, again, surrender, choosing their relationship or buying that person. It takes a lot of strength to do that and self-control. But Jesus says there's this huge reward for people who gently endure conflict, prayerfully with spiritual strength, and at the end of life they will receive a reward for not being resentful. I mean, how many of you know people that maybe they're old grandparents? It seems like older people go one of two directions. You ever notice this? Where they become really jolly and happy, or they're like Mr. Senior Grumpy Pants, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it seems like older folks are going to go one of two directions because they spend a lifetime aiming one direction or the other. So they're either really, really grumpy often because they're full of bitterness and resentment and all that, or they're full and full of tons and tons of joy. Right? Ron's uh, mom was like that. Full of tons of joy. Kay's husband. His mom. Proverbs 15.8 says, A person with a bad temper stirs up conflict, right? Causes discord. But a person who is patient calms things down. Right? You want to be meek and patient and calm things down? Or do you want to raise the temperature in the room or in the home or in the car or whatever and stir up conflict? Because even if you win making your point, you lose in the relationship. You ever notice that? There is a cost that comes to it. Especially in an unfortunate situation where you were the child and you're talking to your parent, right? You're in a submissive authority or if you're the employee and you're talking to your boss. And it's kind of a foolish point to even try to win the conversation at some level. And again, I'm not saying be so wimpy that you just roll over and play dead. You can make your point. And you probably should even, I would say, make your point. But you're still going to surrender it to the relationship and to the position of authority. Does that make sense? So and think about the disciples. Again, the disciples are going to go through a ton of spiritual conflict. Probably pretty safe to say more than any of us ever will. Okay? They're going through a ton of spiritual conflict. Conflict. Jesus is not telling his disciples to be a bunch of spiritual wimps when he tells them to be meek. Right, he's telling them, you need to be able to endure through all this spiritual conflict you're going to have. And in the end, when you are not bitter and you're not angry at the end of your life, even when some of those people like Peter are executed, right? 11 of the 12 get executed or John rots away in prison the rest of his life. Even then, when you're in prison rotting away and you're not bitter, you will receive a massive reward a hundred times of what you have suffered. Think about that. Think of all the Beatitudes when they go through that suffering. This is one of the ones that is most encouraging to them. To understand the power of meekness and God's promise of a great reward. None of us are naive or ignorant or are not used to conflict. We all experience conflict. 
The question is, how do we act in the middle of conflict? And what is our spirit geared towards? Is it value in the relationship, or are we just sold out 100% on making a point? Kind of back up again a little bit. The big picture, Jesus is telling us again, we are blessed if we are understand we're spiritually bankrupt, and we will receive salvation when we call upon him, and ask him to be our Lord and Savior. And out of that spiritual bankruptcy, Jesus promises to forgive us and to rescue us. And if we continue to acknowledge our continuous need for God, then we'll experience glimpses of heaven now. When we mourn over death and loss and sin and spiritual poverty, Jesus promises to comfort us. And when we're meek and we gently endure conflict, even when, this is the hard one, when somebody else points out your spiritual poverty or brokenness, right? then we will receive a reward a hundred times over in eternity to come. Pretty cool. We're going to switch over to Psalm 37. I think this examples meekness pretty well. Psalm 37. All right, I'm going to read the whole thing. Psalm 37. Pay attention to, when we read this, the things that Jesus tells us, or David in this case, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us what to do and what not to do. Psalm 37. He says, do not fret, right? Which means do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, those who do wrong will soon wither like green plants, and they will soon die away. In other words, their success will not last. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently upon him. Do not fret, do not be anxious when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain, hold back from anger, and turn from wrath. Do not fret or be anxious. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, and those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Think about it. If you can endure conflict gently, you will enjoy peace and prosperity as God's promised to you. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, right? They get angry. Ugh, it's gnarly. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. He knows what's coming to them. He laughs at them. We're going to stop there. So again, he tells us to do these different things. He says, to trust in the Lord. To delight in the Lord. You might, if you're taking notes, I'd just write down Psalm 37 and spend a few days reading through it again. 
first 13 verses. When you go home this week, especially if you or anyone here having conflict this last month, which would probably be everybody. Read through Psalm 37. He tells us to trust in the Lord, to delight in the Lord, to commit your way to the Lord, to be still before the Lord, to wait on Him, to refrain or hold back your anger, and to hope in the Lord. He tells us not to fret over evildoers, not to fret over evil schemers, for their success is short-lived. Ever been around a gossip? That's always an example, I think, of the first. Anyone who's a gossip is always successful right off the bat. You ever notice that? Takes off like wildfire. Solomon talks about our tongue burning down forests, burning down relationships. Right, any gossip is successful right off the bat. Have a huge success. Usually it takes off like crazy. can even get more exaggerated. But in the end, it always comes back and haunts them and destroys their relationships every time. Do not worry about evildoers. They will be successful for a short season and then it will end. Think of all these promises he gives us in verse 30, or chapter 37. He says, we will dwell in safe pasture. In other words, you will work, you will cultivate the land in safety. Right? If you ever get out, when you get out, when you get out into the workforce, in other words, you're going to be the last person on earth your bosses are going to want to lose. You will thrive in safe pasture. You will be given the desires of your heart. You'll be given a beaming righteous reward. Jesus is saying, not just a reward. One that others are going to be jealous of. A beaming righteous reward. You will be vindicated. Remember those gossips? You will be vindicated. And your integrity and your reputation will elevate dramatically. You will be vindicated. The meek, here again he says what he says in Jesus, or uh, Jesus mentions, the meek will inherit the land and they will enjoy peace and prosperity. And just think of all the ways we can be, be prosperous, not just talking about money. He's talking about relationships. You will have prosperous relationships. In other words, bountiful relationships that grow. Healthy relationships. Everywhere you go, if you are meek. If you can endure conflict in a relationship, everyone is going to want to be your friend. That gets to know you. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It has nothing to do with it. People are going to want to be your friend if you are meek and gentle about it. And you honor them more than proving a point. You with me? Verse 13 says, the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. You know, if you laugh at people that are causing trouble in your life, you should be able to, too. Because their success is short-lived. And he tells us, don't be jealous of evildoers for their short-lived success. For the day is coming and their reward is futile which means pretty broke. Right? There's not a return for their labor, not the kind of return they want. Don't envy cheaters. They're going to get what they truly deserve. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. And uh, Lord, thank you for every student that's here. Lord, I pray that this word tonight that we received on meekness really is planted in each and every student's heart. Lord, I pray they would not resist your good truth for them. Lord, every single one of us has conflict. Every single one of us struggles when things in our life are pointed out. When our weaknesses are exposed. Lord, help us to patiently endure. Not to be bitter. Not to be angry or upset. But to hope in you. To trust in you. To cultivate in you. Lord, mature us and grow us and help us be countercultural. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.